Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast on JewishCoffeeHouse.com, the show where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. Welcome, Francistans. This is part three of our series, so if you haven't checked out the episode with CP Handler, please go into the show notes and listen to that first, then go ahead and listen to last week's episode with Randy, and then listen to today's episode with Emilio. This interview was long, so I split it up into two episodes. So right after you listen to this one, you can go and check out the next one to complete this episode. And just a few more thoughts before we get started. This interview was done and recorded with Emilio from a correctional facility. So we were cut off every 15 minutes. And I did leave some behind the scenes for you throughout the episode. Also, the audio quality will reflect that as well. Just as last time, there is language, violence, and sexual content mentioned. So listener discretion is definitely advised. We also have CP chiming in here and there. And this was recorded on two separate days. On the first day, we did have Randy on the call as well. It was a beautiful reunion. I just want to bring this to your attention that we think of war zones or people living in complete extreme different circumstances in other countries or on the other side of the world, where if you think about it, gangs and gang culture is right about inside of every major city in the United States. And you have children growing up in these kind of environments and circumstances. So I hope these episodes bring a little bit more understanding and awareness to stories like Randy's and Emilio's. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing about this podcast. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Here we go. I want to share my story because I want to be like a motivational speaker to to kids because I know how, how it can be and I know how hard life can be to them. And I feel like they can understand me and I understand them better because I actually know how it feels and I actually been through it. Welcome back to the Francisca Show. Today with us, we have Emilio on our show. Welcome, Emilio. Hello. Tell us where you're calling in from today. I'm calling from Warren Correctional Institution, state of Ohio. Well, it's so great to have you here. Before we get started, I just want to make sure that we have your total informed consent here. Do you know what that means? Yes, I understand what that means. And you do have my consent. Okay, thank you. I'll just repeat what it means. So it's on the record. Anything you say here will be available for anyone to listen to, including your judge, prosecutor, officers, and cellies. Thank you for giving your consent. We are so excited to have you on and have this conversation. And I am excited to be here. And I appreciate you letting me share my life. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm 22 years old. I'll be 23 next month. I have a 15-year sentence. I already did five years previously on a juvenile case. And I have two sons, 9 and 11. Thank you for introducing yourself. I'd like to hear a little bit more of your story in depth. You mentioned that you have two children and you are calling in from prison. I am curious, do you have to call in a lot of favors or does it cost you money to have the phone for so long? As far as favors, I usually do everything myself. No, it does. I mean, 
it costs money to get on the on, on this payphone, but majority of my time being locked up, uh, I always have a, a real phone, so I can video chat them and whatnot. They can video chat me whenever. Is that an illegal phone? Circumstances right now. That's it. Is. <laughs> so due to my circumstances right now, what I, what I've been through, I don't um, I I don't have one. So, but. It's pretty much the same thing on this phone. I just, I just can't video chat. Got it, Emilio. Tell us a little bit about your childhood, your upbringing, you know, some key factors, a little bit more in depth than you did before. My childhood. Uh, I was four. My fourth birthday, I watched my dad die, and ever since then, it just, I start comprehending more of life and realizing every single day like more and more what was going on when i got around nine i started to run away because before when my dad died my mom moved moved away to a suburb called um, holland Pennsylvania. and around when i turned nine we moved back or well, eight and a half we moved back to toledo Nine, I started running away and going to my dad's side of the family. We're all gang members. We're all crips. And that's when my life really started. Most people will start hustling first and selling drugs and make money. I started using guns. Tell me about some memories you have of your dad before he died. People say they don't remember a lot of stuff because they were babies and whatnot. But I actually have a few memories of my dad when... It's crazy because I was only like three and four, but I don't have very much, but I have a couple of my dad, my dad, um, just being with, um, uh, his other baby mother and the day my dad died, uh, there was a party, my birthday party. It was that night, but I went to the rest. He took me used the restroom and I remember someone like somebody was knocking at the door and my dad was in the mirror and. Door was locked. I remember, I remember somebody yelling outside the door, and dad grabbed me, hit me in the closet. And I remember looking through the crack of the door, and they was fighting over the gun. Gun went off and shot him. Times and when it shot him the first time, I ran out the closet and just dove out the window. And I was laying there in the snow for a long time. Seems like forever, and just crying. I remember my cousin Manuel finding me. I was so cold, and I remember the ambulance already being there. And they coming up in the ambulance, and my aunt Laura was there, and every my whole family was there. But that was the last memory. That was the last night I see my dad. Last memory of my dad I can remember. Wow, I don't hear stories like this every day or ever. So it's a lot can't imagine having to process that at such a young age and how that forms and shapes your life. Can you tell us a little bit more about what life looked like after that? Who was taking care of you? So for my school, my mom was taking care of me my whole life after that. And so when we moved, we moved to a nice neighborhood. But as far as like growing up in school now, I can never, ever just like concentrate what was going on, what the teacher was saying or what was going on because I was so traumatized. Like, I couldn't focus in school. I just, I just in my mind, I always just thought about revenge, even as a young age, right? Always, especially as a young age. And 
I was real violent. It got to the point I had told my teacher about it and how I want to do the same thing to the man that killed my dad and she referred me to the psychiatrist and whatnot and it was a big deal. And my mom came there and she said to me, it was just my whole life was and then that's why I, when I was around the nine, right, uh I, I was walking to school and I ran across my cousin that was by Crips. Crips is the name of the gang that Emilio eventually became part of. We call each other, we call ourselves Lokes. I mean, Loked Out Crip. I seen them walking to school and they noticed me. And they were just so amazed how big I got because they, they haven't seen me in years. So after that, it's just, they asked me if I wanted to go to the hood, like go over there. Like, you got a lot of family. Everybody misses you. Everybody's going to be in shock at how big you got. So I went over there, and that was, the, like, that was like the last day I really stopped going to school. That was like the fifth grade. I, I flunked the grades. And when I went to DYS, I was in the fifth grade. But, like, around then, I was, like, in the... DYS stands for Department of Youth Services, or Juvenile Prison. Probably in the second or third grade. The same day I went over there, before I left, I had a blue flag around my head. Blue flag is a blue bandana that the members of the Crip gang wear to show their gang representation. When I went over there, I went to the block. Everyone, my, my aunts and everyone that was over to my cousins, every, they started calling everybody to the block. My dad named, everyone called my dad O-Dog or Orly, O-R-L-Y, Orly. So when everyone knew I, I was there and everybody came out to see me and with nothing but love and respect. And I started running away. Like, I tell my mom I'm going to school. And I walk straight to my cousin's house and pick up with them. And we'll either drive or walk from the east side all the way to the south end, across the big bridge and everything. But now I'm nine years old. I started smoking weed. It makes me hungry, right? So I used to ask everybody for money. And one day, my cousin, Marcos, just told me, like, because you got to stop. You got to find a hustle for yourself because, like, you're the baby. Like, you little O. Like, everybody used to call me little O. But, like, you're the baby because, like, everybody, everybody gives you money because just you, cause you're a baby. You don't know what you want. Like, you don't know how to hustle. But eventually that's going to stop because they're going to expect you to be getting your own money when you get older. You got to find a hustle. And I, I remember telling him, like, I don't know how to sell drugs because, like, I don't, I don't know how to sell weed. That's all that I was really going around weed for my era at that time but it was like there's other ways to make money because you can hit licks that's a way of saying robbing houses ever since like he taught me how he taught me how to hit licks and i had went to go hit our first lick and i came up on my first gun it was it was three of us me mark and kev but we went our separate ways in the house we all had book bags and and i went to my room the room i was robbing stealing from i came across a jar full of quarters and i emptied all of my book bags some weed it was like a a quarter pound of some reggie and a black box and i opened the box it was a gun it was a 40 cow smith and western and i didn't let nobody see it so i tucked it in my waistband and I was ready right there. I was so excited because everybody, everybody in the hood got guns. So I was so excited that I just saw a gun and it, it was big. Cause I'm, I'm a baby. I'm young. My hands are like little. So when I hold the gun, it, it looked like I'm holding 
a, a big ass gun. <laughs> so excuse my language, but we went back to the block and on the block there's a, it's a big house. It's, a, it's like a four story house and it's real big. And when you walk in, it's it's like a dining room, but it's a, we got a big round table right there. And when you're sitting at the round table, everybody usually just put their guns on the table and if you play either people are playing cards or on this end people rolling up smoking weed or you know, or it's it's just something we're just chilling just chilling everybody always put their guns on the table so when i when we came back to the block that night we're in the kitchen now empty we're, we're all putting all our stuff out our book bag on the table separating it our ogs come in the back door and seeing what was going on og stands for original gangster meaning highest ringing gang member and they instantly got mad because i was i was the baby like and they instantly got mad at my cousins and started yelling at them like because they thought they were trying to treat me like a flunky because i was i was the baby i was the young dude so they yelled at them and told them like what's going on like just like this royalty you guys ain't about to be having my little cousin on here out here on no flunky stuff they made sure everything got bust down 50 50 so they wouldn't get over them, which I know they wasn't because they're my cousins. So, like, they only did it just to put money in my pockets and show me how to do it. Later on that night, I didn't tell nobody. Like, everybody's sitting at the table, and I'm sitting next to my OG. And I knew this was the right time to, to show everybody I got a gun because if I didn't do it while the OGs was there, I know my cousins would have tried to take it because they would have, like, hey, like, you don't know what you're doing. Let me get that, like, try to take it from me, so... And I know wasn't nobody taking them while my old Jesus there, so I put it on the table, and it's just like everybody was just looking, like it got so quiet, everybody was just looking at me in the gun, like present, was like, what you, what, you, what you doing with that? And I'm like, uh, he's like, where you get it from? I'm like, I just got it on the lick I hit, and he showed me how to, how, he showed me how to use it and put the clip in. And this day is about to be over, and this is where I had a, I had a choice right here, I had a choice right here, I had an option to either go home and live a good life or be in the streets. So one of my OGs, his name, Antelope, he seen what was going on. He he whispered in my ear like, hey, look, oh, let me holler at you in the back real quick. And he grabbed two of my other OGs, DZ and Drew, and went in the back. And he's like, let me see your gun, because I gave him my gun. And he grabbed his phone out of his pocket. He went down, uh, he flipped it, and he showed me. And it was my mom's name. It said Victoria on there. He said, because I can either, like, out of respect that I have for you and your dad and your uncle, I can call your mom right now, because and she can come pick you up. I'm going to take this gun. She can come pick you up. You can go to school and be what you want to be in life and do what you want to do, because and forget all this shit ever happened and just come visit us from time to time. You can do something, be something in life, or I can show you how to use this gun the right way so you know what you're doing with it. I had a lot going through my head at the time. I had to choose right then and there. It wasn't no, let me get back to you on it, or I'll holler at you later about it. It was like, I had to choose right then and there. So I thought about it because that's when I really know, like, it's the real deal. Like, I ain't, like, it ain't no playing. Like, it ain't no backing down. It ain't no none of that no more. So, and by then I already seen a lot. Like, they was doing a lot around me. So I knew it was real. It's, this is the real deal. So. I thought about calling my mom, and I, and I really was. I was going to call her, but then I thought about all them days in school and all them flashbacks and me going through it and me just thinking of revenge. And that day my dad died, and I told him 
no disrespect, cause but I need my gun back. And he laughed. He said, "I respect it." Here, low. Then gave me my gun back and showed me how to use it. That was that. I know you've done so much healing and just progress in terms of understanding what a healthy upbringing or childhood looks like for so many other people. Unfortunately, not for yourself. And you've done so much of this work. How do you feel about the world? How do you feel about the system? What are your feelings toward life? Yeah, talk to me about that. I vision. I I, I see a whole different. Like I see life is for what it is now. Like I don't know it all, but I've been through a lot to where like I know that being in the gang is not going to get me nowhere mentally or physically. Like, yeah, yeah. So like I look at life now. Like life is so precious and short. I want to come home and actually. I know it's not too late to like be something. Well, I know I can't, I, my options is limited now, but I do want to come home and do the right thing for not just myself, my kids. And I had got out the first time, like I did five years. I got sentenced to a six year sentence when I was 13 for three felonious assault charges and suspects. I got out when I was 18. Well, when I was yeah, I was 13. I I was walking home one day from the south end back to the east side, and I was real. I was tired. I was doing coke, cocaine out there, so I was just coming down off of it, and I was real tired because I've been up for days. So I, I was walking with my dude. Because we got our blue flags around. I got mine around my head, and he has his around his neck. I'm into it like I'm beefing. Meaning having issues with a lot of people and with the bloods and the whole east side is the majority blood. So I'm trying to check the alleys and I'm trying to avoid everybody because I'm just trying to go home and go to sleep. And I run into somebody. I run into one of the OGs and he seen me with all the blue on and he, he started messing with me. Like he started cussing at me and like, what, what are you doing walking around my hood with all that crap? Crab is a disrespectful word for Crips. He said, what are you doing? Why are you, what are y'all doing walking around here with all that with all that crap shit and he was just disrespecting me and that's what it was and I had shot him. So you know, I took off running and and uh that's what it was, so I had got charged for all that and that's where I ended up in DYS. But yeah, I did I ended up doing like a little a little over five years. So he had got out the hospital and was Found out where I lived and was uh, agonizing me. And I had found out where he lived. And I went and found him and shot him and shot his girlfriend. So, so that's where the other forms of assault comes from. I'd like to ask you about your children. Are they both from the same mother? No. Are yeah. they being raised by their mothers? Yeah, they are. They're close to them. They're very close. And to you or to each other? I keep in contact with them on a daily. Yeah, to each of both, to each other and me. How old were you when you had them? 11 and 13. No, I just, I don't know. It just, it just sounds crazy, doesn't it? Don't it? Yeah. What about the moms? Were they nine? Hold on. Or they were older? No, they're older. How much it's older? it's funny because nobody ever, 31, one's 31 now, one's will be... 29 in March. I always joke with so, the, with the you know, marriage 
the arranged marriages we have in the Orthodox Jewish world, how the guys need to be dating older women because they will support, you know, they already did their schooling and they'll have jobs. So you did that for your kids. People didn't believe me at first until in, in order for them to come in the facility, you have to get DNA tested. Like I got one DNA test, but it took a few years for me to get a DNA test because of just how everything was going between me and my baby mother. So it took a minute, but eventually before I left, everything got situated. I worked something out with somebody named Mr. Dabrinsky because like it got to the point like they came up there to see me and they didn't let them in and they turned them around they had to drive all the way back to Toledo and I got I just got so mad I I picked it's a, it's a table and if you see how the table is you would be like you couldn't even I don't know I picked the table up and I tossed uh, and I tossed it as much as I could and it went through the social worker's window and they made a big deal about it and that's why I did it though, because when I called, I'm like, "Where are you guys at?" Tell me they turned them around. I just also irritated and mad because I am here. So they gave me a permanent gate pass from um, after that, so they can come in. As far as in juvenile prison and DYS, if you wanted to just be humble, sit back, and try to go about it the right way, and talk to your social worker. Now your social worker has. After the like, now on the dorms, on each dorms, there's like a, a maximum of like 32 kids or young men on one block. There's only two social workers on each block, so they have to split every kid that's on that block equally. So your case manager, your social worker, has like 15 other people on her caseload. They have a lot going on, and for a situation like that, they would look at it like, well. They're not on your visitation list, and you didn't take a DNA test, so you're in the wrong for doing what you did, and it's not going to get nowhere if I try to press the issue, so I can even bring it up. That's how they would have looked at it. And I understand what she's saying, but at the same time, my family just drove all this all this way to come in here for them to get turned around, and I'm tr- and I'm and I'm trying to go through this the right way, and get the DNA test and, and I'm just waiting. So it wasn't our fault that um, what we was going through what we was going through. We we was waiting and from what I remember, the correctional officer that runs the Elmo program, he told me that they can go ahead and come up here. I'm still stuck on the whole you having children when you were 11 and 13. And in the world I live in, adults having sex with children is is on the line of rape and unconsensual relationships. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Was it consensual? All the time. <laughs> is that is that normal where you were at the time? I mean where older yeah, girls that was normal. I mean to this day I don't don't date nobody that's around my age. I just was always used to dating older people. But that was normal to me in my head because everybody I grew up around was always older than me. All my cousins, everybody was always older than me. So so I always looked at it like, I'm not trying to trying to mess with these girls around my age. They're babies, they're, they're kids, they're babies. So 
Uh, yeah, so I always looked at it like messing with older, older women. Were you emotionally involved with your baby mamas? Did they fill a motherly role for you? Or was it just, you know, something you wanted to brag about to the other guys to prove yourself? Or did you get something emotionally out of those relationships? Um, I, one of them, yeah, but... It was, it was, it was like, we had our ups and downs, like every, everyone, but me being in, me being in jail my whole life, I had to, I, like, I couldn't, I had to be realistic, like, I, you know, me being in jail for all this time, people have, you know, females, like, they have other needs, and, like, I'm not, I can't be there for them physically, right, I'm just can be there for them mentally as much as I could in here, and so me, being away, it wasn't working out because she like they they need they was having sex right with other people and I wasn't sitting there I, like I wasn't understanding like but I had got older and understood like I got a lot of time so I couldn't expect for them to just to hold it down and because they, that's not what they're used to. Did they know how old you were? Everyone knew how old I was. I mean, I lied at first, but eventually they found out. It was just too late. And everyone looked at me like I was Everyone knew I was a baby in the streets. Everyone called me Baby Lope. What's your relationship with them now? Is there um, waiting for you to get out type of thing? Do you choose one over the other? No. I mean, I don't even care to be in no relationship with neither one of them. But we have an understanding. So so we're like, when it comes down to... My kids, it's just, that's just what it is. Like, ain't, ain't no, never going to be no uh, relationship. Like a together relationship. It's not, I'm, they're not waiting. I'm not, I don't expect them to wait. I'm not waiting for them. Like. Introducing back onto the show, CP Handler, who we've had here before. CP is going to be co-hosting with me today. So CP, the microphone's yours. Hi, good to be back. Hey, Emilio. Hello, CP. So uh, I'm just going to kind of jump in. One of the things that you were mentioning uh, before is about your goal of becoming a motivational speaker, you know, like to help children and to help kids. And as you say that, I'm kind of thinking about your own boys and wondering if you can tell us a little bit about them. I would love to tell you guys about my boys. I have two sons, Chris and Emilio. Chris is the oldest. Chris is 11. Emilio is nine and i originally thought that i had emilio first and i witnessed him being born and i was only 13 years old so something like that happening to me at such a young age life was hitting me all at one time and i started realizing more and more that i have a responsibility i brought life into this world and i looked at myself more mature than what i already was exactly two months after he was born i had got incarcerated in juvenile prison. I got sentenced to a six-year sentence. I wasn't there the majority of his life, but he used to come and see me, and they they had this program called the Elmo program in juvenile prison to where fathers, if you, if you have children, your children can come and see you, and it's like a special visit. They have their own... Elmo room with toys and couches and a padded floor room and they have a crib with pampers in there and wipes and I learned how to be 
father and being incarcerated. It helped me out a lot because when I got sentenced, that's all I kept thinking about was my son. My son, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be away from my son. He's not gonna know who I am. I was scared that he was gonna be calling another man dad. And that was my biggest fear because I grew up without no dad. And knowing that I'm actually here, I can be there for my son. And, and I made the choice to do what I did to get me locked up and in prison. It was eating me up mentally. And so the Elmo program really helped me out a lot. And it had me and my son like building and used to come see me once a month. So like I learned how to change pampers. He understood who I was as the years went by and the months went by in there. So after a couple years of being incarcerated, I found out that I could possibly have another child. And in the back of my head, I always knew that it was a possibility that I probably could have had more kids out there that I don't know about because I was so young when I was I was active. I wasn't wearing condoms because I didn't think that I could have kids because I was so young. So I never wore condoms. And when it happened, I was in shock. I couldn't believe it. So now fast forward a couple years later, I found out I got another son and I was in denial at first. So once I really knew that that was my son, I embraced him like my son and he started to come and see me. And by then, like he's already a few years old. So he was trying to get to know me as I was trying to get to know him. And at first it was a little awkward because he didn't know who I was and it was understandable, but, and it just didn't make, it just made me feel bad, but it made me want to be there even more for him. As the time went by, he understood exactly who I was and our bond just kept building and building. And eventually he met my family, my mom and, his brother, so it's a wonderful feeling, like, and my boys now, um, and I'm 22 years old, and I'm still young, and they're 9 and 11, so when people see us, when they come and see me now, like, people think they're dumb on my little brothers, and, and just in life, people think they're my little brothers, because they're half of the size of me now, and my boys, my kids, and it's a wonderful feeling, because I, I remember how it feels not to have a father growing up, and I do everything I can to make sure I keep in contact with my, with my children by by the telephone or a contraband cell phone in here. By any means necessary, I make sure that me and my son's relationship and our bond progress. And I'm young, but I have been through a lot in my life to where I got a lot of knowledge to give to them and a lot of games to give to them. And, and they understand. They understand everything I be saying. And it's just so amazing to me because I can sit on the phone and video chat them and have an actual conversation with them now and it's just like mind-blowing because they was just little babies to me like and I've been in prison their whole life and to see them actually grow up to where they're at now they're young men and like in my eyes they're little boys but they act like young men like they're 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 way more mature than for what their ages are and and I like it like that because I, I want them to be aware of life and I want them to know that life is beautiful, but it's also, don't ever take life for granted. Like, What does it mean to you for people to be hearing your story? It feels good because I want people to understand and know that like, it's, no matter where, how hard and how hard life is for people where they come from, where I come from, that like people can change mentally. Like all people like aim when you come from the hood and you come from killing and being around all, all like all that, if you want to mentally, it, it will take time. It don't happen overnight. 
but if you want to, you can mentally change and you can mentally do and be what you want to be. And but you you have to be realistic with it. Like you just can't tell yourself you want to be a lawyer and a doctor and strive to do it. You got to be realistic. You limit your options is limited. But I want my story. I want to share my story because I want to be like a motivational speaker to, to kids because I know how, how it can be and I know how hard life can be to them. And I feel like they can understand me and I understand them better because I actually know how it feels and I actually been through it. And, um, I, and I'm, I'm not going to lunch. I, I apologize. I'm, you know, I'm in prison right now. I apologize, CP. The, the correctional officer was literally just at my door because it's child time right now. It's lunchtime. And I was letting him know that I wasn't trying to. You're fine. Oh, that's very sweet. Okay, we're going off the record here for a minute. Francisco wants to know if you want lunch. No, 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 no. You're good? Okay. Hearing you talk about your sons and your relationships with them and the the visits that you have with them and all of that, kind of circling back to you and thinking about your childhood, like they're 9 and 11, and you can think of yourself when you were 9 and 11, right? Like, what are some of the biggest differences that you can think of now from yourself when you were that age to them at this age? A lot that's different from when I was their age. And now, when I was Emilio's age, that's the age that I started being in the streets, like being affiliated with. You have one minute remaining. That's the age I really started being affiliated with my gang members, my family. Chris, when I was... His age, well, that's when his beautiful self was born. And I explained that to him so he can comprehend and really know that, like, that's when he was born. So I want him to understand, like, don't, I don't want him to grow up and be, grow up and be be too old. Because when you're young, like, he's, he's just so young and I want him to stay young. I want him to be a kid as long as he wants to be, so. Hello, this is a prepaid debit call from... Emilio. An inmate at the Warren Correctional Institution. To accept this call, press zero. Use it. This, this call is from a correction facility and is subject to monitoring and recording. Man, CPM on the record right now? Yeah, uh, yeah, but we can take you off the record. What happened? Uh, man, CP, um, one just died. Someone came to my door. The CO came to my door. Man, smoke's mom just died. Oh, shit. Shoot, what happened to her? She used to watch us. Like, she used to babysit me when I was, like, like I knew them for so long. It's just what I got to deal with in prison. And I couldn't even figure out. I, I you didn't even tell me, like, because I was, like, like, no disrespect, little bro, but I'm on the phone. Like, I'm in an important phone call right now. Can you please come back later? And, like, I, I respect it. But when, when's the last time we talked to Mama Keisha? I'm, like, I, I, I don't know, but, like, probably, like, a, a week ago, you're, like, bro, she died, bro. She's dead. And, Oh, I... I'm so sorry, Emilio. Oh, my goodness. Okay, wait. Hold on. Do you want me to reach out to Ant and to Smoke? Sometime today. Um, okay. We can get this out the way. We also could not. What? Literally, it's whatever you're most comfortable with. We can continue this or we can continue this a different day. Like, what do you think is best for no, you now? It's all right. I appreciate it, um, but we can, we can finish this. Like... Okay. And to be honest, I wanted to go on record because I wanted to, like, I want people to understand, like, this is what comes with being in prison. And this is, like, part of the consequences of being in prison. 
people have to sit back and watch loved ones die and pass away all the time. And I can't do nothing about it. Another lesson learned for, for people that want to commit crimes and break the law and in the prison just have to deal with. This is another one of the consequences you have to deal with being in prison. Loved ones will pass away. That's wow. They don't even let people go to funerals no more. And due to they're not my real immediate family, they wouldn't even let me do a video conference. But I knew her since I was a kid. Like, me and my brother used to go over there and get babysat. But I guess she, they used to babysit us. Like, when my mom would go out and, and do her, because my mom's so young, so she used to still party when she was still a kid. So my Makisha used to go over there and babysit us, make dinner for us. And mm. I'm going to reach out to him. I'll tell him that you're thinking about him and that you're hurting. I'll let you know what he says. He's already on my JP. Okay. So kind of segueing from that right into juvenile prison, I'm curious if you can just tell us a little bit about juvenile prison itself as you think about it. To continue this episode, click out of this episode and just continue listening to the next one. We will be right back. Thank you for listening to The Francisca Show. Mm-hmm.